0: Hey, good morning, welcome to Restoration Church. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Andrew, and I'm the family ministries pastor here at Restoration. Uh, pastor Nate, our lead pastor, is off in one of our other locations in Londonderry today for the service. So uh, I get to preach, and I'm so excited because we're in this amazing series called Uncharted Territory. And for me, it kind of, uh, the, whole, the whole idea of the series can boil down to this thought, what to do when God says Go. And so that's kind of the idea behind uncharted territory. And so we're going to go into a story and hear today about just this amazing thing that happens. And I think if you you follow with me, if you stay with me and, and learn some of the history and learn some of the background, man, this can change the way that you live your life. And so this is something that we all face constantly. So the idea of uncharted territory, it's this thought of you entering into something you've never known before. It's this new idea, this new, this new area, this new way of living, this new way of life, and just entering into something you've never experienced before. And so I'm going to give you some background. And so the best way I can explain this, that you can understand why I'm going to give you this huge, like, just word vomit of history, is there's this, there's this movie coming out in a couple weeks called uh, Avengers Endgame, and I am so excited for that movie. And it's like, I'm living for for that day. My wife and I already have our Thursday night tickets. But Avengers Endgame is part of what's called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I believe before Avengers Endgame, there's 22 other Marvel movies, all that come before and lead up to this movie. So imagine, if you will, if you have never seen a Marvel movie before, which maybe you haven't, and you walked into Avengers Endgame and you tried to follow along with what's happening. You would end up very confused and very disappointed. So today, I'm going to help you understand what's going on in this story by giving you a background. I'm going to give you, you know, as I talk through, I'm going to give you your Iron Man movie, your Captain America. That way, when we get to the Avengers part, you know what's happening and you can appreciate it even more, all right? So I'm going to give you a little bit more background as we talk through this. So Pastor Nate left us last week with the story of the early church. So the church has, uh, Jesus has ascended to heaven, and he's given one very specific command to the church. Kind of his last words, the last things he says before he leaves, and in my opinion, one of the most important things he says, is you will receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All right, so they, they understand that the ends of the earth, that, you know, they knew that there was Africa, they knew there was Europe, they knew there was Asia, they didn't know about the Americas yet, but they knew that they had this massive area that they had to begin to be a witness about what Jesus had done in their lives up until this point. And, and, and the church, the very early church, didn't do that. So they spent the first, few, the, first, the first few years potentially just kind of staying in Jerusalem. So God had sent them to the whole world, and they stayed in a one-mile-by-one-mile one city, and that's it. And we can't minimize what was happening there. Like, amazing things were happening. Miracles were happening. People were getting saved, healed. Um, There were thousands of people coming to know who Jesus was. But Jesus gave them a very specific command, and they didn't do it. And so today, we're going to kind of pick up in this story of where that is, where when, when you're confronted with this idea of, okay, we're not doing what God has called us to do, and really... We're going to understand the beginning of the end of that mentality, where it's we're just going to stay in this city. And so I've got to give you some, uh, some characters and some people. We've got to, I've got to introduce you to our hero of the story. I've got to introduce you to our potential antagonist. And I've got to help you get a framework for who's where and who's doing what. So follow with me, if you will. So the first person I'm going to introduce you to is a guy named Peter. Now, Peter, if you've been in church, is is a close disciple of Jesus. He'd spent years with Jesus, doing ministry with him, seeing his miracles and things like that. And so Peter is kind of our hero of this story. And I call him the hero because in every story, there's what's called the hero's journey. It's when the hero starts somewhere and they end up somewhere different, changed, transformed, something has impacted them and changed the way that they live their life. And so Peter ends up doing this. And then kind of the person who, uh, helps Peter undergo this transformation, even though he doesn't realize he's doing it, is this man named Cornelius. And so, Cornelius is our second character, who I want you to be familiar with. And he is a Roman soldier. So he's a Roman centurion. He, he's he, he's he's liked by everyone. And, and and you know, you might empathize potentially, depending on where you're at in your walk with God, with with uh, with Cornelius, because Cornelius believed God was real. He just he kind of believed God was real. And that's about it. He just knew, like, you know, I I believe God is real. And so statistics kind of say that I think potentially in the U.S., 93% of people say that they believe in a higher power. So Cornelius would be that person. He would just say, yeah, I believe there's a higher power. And he lived his life in a pretty good way, as if there was a higher power. He tried to honor God and tried to be a good person. And so Cornelius is this really cool character who just, who just kind of knows God exists. The next thing we need to understand to really appreciate the context of where we're at is the idea of being Jewish. And so you and I might know some Jewish people or our understanding of what it means to be Jewish is once a year they celebrate Hanukkah, and that's about it. And so we really need to understand a deeper a deeper point of what it actually means to be Jewish. And so in this culture and in this context, Jewish people took their religion very, very seriously in the point that they estimate around the time that uh, Jesus was on earth and, and then they think that the Jewish people had 613 different commandments that they tried to follow. So 613. I can't even remember where my car keys are, but they somehow remember that they had to follow 613 rules. And those of you who are parents, you're like, my kid can't even follow one rule. How on earth is 613 possible? And that's, yeah, that's kind of the point. All right, so there's 613 rules you would follow as a Jewish person. And, and some of them would seem strange just today. So, you know, they wouldn't eat pork, which means no bacon, which is just, I don't know why you want to live that life. But, you know, no bacon. Um, you know, they would go to the temple certain times of the day, make sacrifices, one of the big things. The biggest thing that's a little weird um, for us today might be uh, they believed in what's called circumcision, and so that everyone had to be circumcised. And so if you're young, you don't know what circumcision is, uh, ask your mom or dad, and I'm not getting into that. All right? So <laughs> um, so uh, I'm so happy Pastor Nate's wife and, her, and his three kids were sitting on the front row, and I was going to make that joke. So thankfully, they left because I was so stressed. I was going to get a conversation later. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, so they believed in circumcision, and so there was a whole group of these these Jewish people. So there's all these people who are starting to believe in Jesus, and they're coming to know who He is, and they're all Jewish. And so they keep following these 613 rules, and so that introduces a kind of our antagonist. They're not they're not the bad guy, but they just they're kind of an antagonist throughout this story, and they would be what's called the circumcision sect. And the reason they were called this was because. They were okay with people who um, weren't Jewish kind of finding out about who Jesus was, but only after they started following the 613 rules that, um, that Jewish culture had. And one of those rules was circumcision. So for them, if you wanted to follow Jesus, you had to be circumcised no matter what age you were. And so they're kind of our antagonists. And then the last category that I want us to have a framework and understanding is the idea of a Gentile. So a Gentile is simply someone who is not Jewish, and so you and I would be classified as Gentiles because we don't have, most of us don't have Jewish heritage or we don't follow the 613 commandments that the Torah and the Jewish scriptures lay out. And so, Gen, so Cornelius would be a Gentile. And so to understand, Jewish people did not interact with Gentiles at all. So if you were Jewish and you decided to go over to a Gentile's house you could actually be kind of like ostracized by the Jewish community. You were almost considered a terrible person or a sinner or something was wrong with you. And so people would get very, very angry if you interacted with Gentiles more than you had to. And so it's kind of with that mentality that the early church started spreading the news of who Jesus was. They spread the news of who Jesus was by only telling Jewish people and not telling any Gentiles. And so this is like this is kind of a, a really weird thing because they have a very clear command that they're supposed to be witnesses to the end of the earth. How are you going to do that if you don't talk to people who aren't Jewish? And so the, the, the church isn't quite wrestling through this, but this story is where they begin to start to wrestle through. All right, well, God gave us a command. What do we do now? And so we're going to join our hero, Peter. And in this moment, he's, he's traveled outside of Jerusalem and he's hanging out with a bunch of other people who are Jewish who believe in Jesus, and he's in this town called Joppa. And Cornelius, who believes in God, all of a sudden hears a voice, gets a vision or something, and God says, hey, send send some of your people to go find a man named Peter. And so Cornelius, who just says, you know, I believe in God, and I think he did something in my life, I'm going to send these men to go find Peter. And so Peter is in Joppa, and so Cornelius' men are looking for him, and that's where we pick up the story. So we're going to um, jump into Acts 10, 9 through 17. And remember, Cornelius' messengers are looking for him. Peter is just kind of hanging out with Jewish people. And so we begin, the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while the meat was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open up, and something like a large sheet was let down by all four corners. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven, and Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? All right, so this is where I'm going to pause, and I'm going to tell you something about your life, and that applies to you, and that we're going to unpack, and we're going to follow. So I would say it should be a goal in all of our lives to enter into some sort of uncharted territory. Because you've got to enter into uncharted territory is to grow in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, whether it's getting a new job, whether it's starting a family, whether it's um, getting engaged, this is all uncharted territory for you. And it should be a goal in your life somewhere, or maybe it's, you know, God or something like that. It should be a goal for you to enter into uncharted territory. And every time you enter into uncharted territory, these three things happen. Vision, realization, and then opposition. Vision, realization, and opposition. So we're going to talk about that. And so this is where we begin. We find Peter having a vision. And so he's having a vision he doesn't understand. So he's kind of confused as to what's happening. And so I love the last line because it's really honest. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? And this is why it's so important to me because I think this is how I know it's a God thing that's happening here. Because the reality is, If a vision is from God, you won't completely understand it. And so for you, as you're dealing with uncharted territories in your life and you're beginning to enter into them, if God has called you to something, you will not quite understand totally what it means. And so for me, this happened just a few weeks ago when I was at youth convention with all of the teenagers and and we were were doing this thing where uh, they began to talk about an organization called Speed the Light. And Speed the Light, if you don't know what it is, it's an organization that, I, you know, I think is just amazing. And we as a church support them because they do things like buy uh, buy 18-wheelers for Convoy of Hope. They do things like support um, Freedom International, which is an organization that ends human trafficking. They do things like that. And so our teenagers give to Speed the Light every year in order to support this organization. And so while I was at youth convention, we were really talking about um, Speed the Light, and we really had a vision, like, we want to give more to Speed the Light than we ever have before. And while we were sitting there and we were kind of talking about it, God began to move in my heart, and he said, I really want you to give $200 today to Speed the Light and continue to give throughout the year. And so for me, this was really stressful because honestly, like, I didn't have to, like, we don't have $200 to give. Like, me and my wife, like we do not have two hundred dollars, and so I'm beginning to think through. All right, God, I think you've called me to do something. I think you've called me to. Uh, I think you've called me to give, but I don't know if I can, and so I'm scared. We're entering into uncharted territory. So then I'm like, All right, now I've got to tell my wife, Hey, honey, we're gonna give two hundred dollars away today, and I was really stressed about it because I was like, Hey, wife, I know like. Sometimes we have to wait for you to buy makeup, and uh, we don't go out to eat a lot. But today, we're going to spend $200 to give to this organization. And so I'm, like, freaking out. And so I text her because we're not sitting next to each other. I'm like, hey, God put it on my heart to give $100 to speed the light today. And so I'm, like, downplaying it. I'm like, I'll, I'll say half. That way, that way she won't freak out. It'll be better. And then my wife, in her infinite wisdom, reveals that she is much smarter than me and sends back, really? I was thinking $200. <laughs> and so in that moment, we stepped into uncharted territory, and it was terrifying. And, like, here's the thing. Like, I don't necessarily know why it is that, that we have this, this heart to do this, but, but all I know is God was speaking to me, hey, if you want the teenagers to be a part of this, you need to lead the way for them to follow and so I began to, and so that was the thing. Like I stepped into uncharted territory and you're stepping into uncharted territory in your life. And, and I believe this and I believe this no matter where you're at in your walk with God, God has given you a vision for uncharted territory. So maybe this is your first time in church ever. Well, you're in uncharted territory. I, I can understand that. Like, I don't know why you might be like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what decided to make me show up today. You might be like, man, God's got me on uncharted territory. I'm in church and I haven't been to church in forever. That might be uncharted. Maybe God is putting in your heart like, hey, you're supposed to serve your community in this way. Maybe God's putting in your heart like, hey, you need to up your involvement in the church. God's putting in your heart, hey, you need to do this. You need to, you need to apologize to someone who you've wronged or you need to forgive someone who's wronged you. And so you're stepping into uncharted territory. So God has given you a vision for what you need to do and you don't quite understand it yet. And that's okay, because here's the reality. If we could come up with the vision ourselves, it wouldn't be big enough for God. And so he's calling Peter into uncharted territory that he doesn't understand so that he can show up and prove and meet him where he's at. The way I like to describe it is, an uncharted territory requires an uncharted vision, because how can you know that which you have not experienced yet? And so that's where we that's where we're at. And so so Peter's puzzled by this vision, but God begins to say to him, hey, these guys are gonna show up at your door. Go with them. Go with them to Cornelius' house. And so for Peter, I can only imagine there must be conflict in him. Because he wouldn't normally ever do this. You know, he said, like, God, I've never even, like, I've never eaten animals that I shouldn't. I've never broken Jewish laws. I'm gonna follow what you have. So one of the things I'm not supposed to do is I'm not supposed to go hang out with a Gentile. I'm not supposed to go to Cornelius' house. But God kind of tells him, like, Peter, you need to go with them. So Peter's like, all right, I'm going to go on this uncharted journey into this uncharted territory because you've given me a vision that I don't quite understand yet, but I want to pursue and figure out what it is. So Peter goes into, uh, goes and begins to follow, and he ends up at Cornelius' house. And when he gets there, Cornelius, who, who still just all Cornelius knows is God is real— falls down and begins to worship Peter. And Peter says, don't don't worship me, don't worship me. I'm just a man, I'm just a man, Don't, don't worship me. But let me tell you a story about someone who is more than just a man. And so Peter begins to tell all these Gentiles the story of what Jesus has done. So as we're about to pick up, there's one more contextual thing I want you to understand. See, the the early church was defined and understood themselves as having received power when something called the Holy Spirit came upon them. And so it was very obvious to the early church when the Holy Spirit empowered its followers. So they knew. And up until this point, the Holy Spirit had only ever interacted with Jewish people. That's it. The people following the 613 commands, the people who were born to a certain nation, that was the only time the Holy Spirit had ever interacted with, 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 with people. And then this happens. So this is where it gets really cool. Uh, in, in, Acts, um, in Acts 10, 44 through 48, it says, Even as Peter was saying these things, referring to speaking about Jesus and the way he had changed his life, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. So what's happening here? Peter has had a vision. He's had a vision of, of something. Somehow, God is making something clean. He's allowing his spirit to begin to move in a way it never has before. And then here's the second part. So remember, we have vision and then realization. So when you step into uncharted territories, there will come a moment when a realization happens. And this realization is the understanding of the vision that God has given you and the fulfillment of that same vision. And so God has called Peter into uncharted territory, and now Peter's vision has entered into reality. It's become real. So this is is something huge. So for you, as you're entering into uncharted territory, this might be, oh, you know, my marriage has somehow improved, and I can't explain it. Uh, I've been healed and I can't explain it. Man, God is delivering me from things that I thought I dealt with and, and I can't explain it. And you're changing. You're, all of a sudden, the reality of the vision that God has placed in your heart becomes real and it changes something in you just like it changed something in Peter right now. Peter all of a sudden went from a man who would never sit down with a Gentile to someone who was speaking to them, staying at his house, spending time with him, and all of a sudden, something had changed. And so for us, to achieve that realization, we sometimes have to break things we think of as laws, but that are really just culture. And so the best way I I can think about this um, in in our culture is, if you live in New England, um, we tend not to talk to anybody other than people we already know. So if you show up at the grocery store in the middle of February, nobody makes eye contact with each other because it's miserable outside and everybody's miserable inside. And so we just put our heads down and we just walk down the aisle and try to avoid as many conversations as possible. So maybe God is calling us to be a little friendlier. Maybe he's calling us to say, you know what, even if it's the middle of winter and we're all depressed, you could be a little happier. Like maybe that's the uncharted territory you're walking into. But maybe it's you're just saying like, I need to get up out of my cubicle and start interacting with my coworkers. Man, I need to come out of my shell. I need to let these things that have defined me, my anxiety, my depression, my anger, I need to let them go and begin to walk in a way that is different than I've walked before. And so God is calling you to do this. And then the second thing I want to talk about that's so important right here. And and for those of you who empathize with Cornelius, who are like, you know what, I believe God exists, but I I I don't have any right to to be in church or to know him or to or to experience Jesus. Here's the thing: it's not about how many rules you follow, it's about who rules your life. And so Cornelius is realizing this because Cornelius is sitting here and saying, you know what? I just want to follow God. And so for the Jewish people and, you know, for Peter, their first thought was, well, then you have to follow all 613 of these commandments. You have to do this. You have to do this. Then you're lucky enough to get God to bless your life. But the reality is God is willing to pour out his his blessings on your life, not just because you followed a certain number of rules, but because you said, I'm willing to let him rule my life. And so that's what you need to understand and we need to understand is it's never about how good we are. It's always about how good he is. And so God is allowing himself to show up to these people, changing their lives, impacting them, even though they didn't do it the right way. And so we need to realize. So there's a realization going on here. We've had a vision and a realization And then the final thing that begins to happen, and this is where it gets interesting and and we begin to interact with our antagonist again, is this will happen every time God gives you a vision, a realization, and that's opposition. And so what does that mean? That means that you will have a real and powerful encounter with God where he's laid out what the next step in your life is or he's changed you on the inside and people will not believe it. People will question whether or not it actually happened. People will say, no, you're just, you'll be the same as you, you'll be, you know, you're, you're better for a month, you're gonna go back to who you were five months from now. Oh, how many times have I heard you apologize and say you're gonna get better at this? You, you're never gonna do that. Oh man, your depression, your anxiety, it'll be back. It, it's, it's, just, it's just gone for a moment. But the reality is there's gonna be opposition that comes against your vision and your realization. And you have to be prepared for that. So Peter ends up having this because after he's done talking to Cornelius, after he's done interacting with their family, he has to go back to the church in Jerusalem. And they're not exactly kind to him when he tells them what happened. So we're gonna pick up in Acts 11, one through four. It says, soon news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. So we're going to continue to go through that, but, but it's so important that we understand right now they're coming at him and opposing that which God has already done. God's already done it. God's already changed his people's life. God may already have changed your life, but there's opposition to that reality. One of the ways I've been thinking about it is um, in uh, in 1798, there was the discovery of a new animal species that people thought was a joke. And that animal that they discovered was the duck-billed platypus. So there's these explorers, and they go out, and they find a duck-billed platypus. And they're like, what on earth is this thing? It's got a beak like a duck. It's got, uh, it looks like a beaver. It's, it's all, it looks like someone literally stitched together in a bunch of animals. And so they took, they, took like, they took a carcass of one, and they sent it back to Europe for scientists to study it. And scientists literally thought it was a joke. They literally opened it up and were looking for the stitching where people had stitched the bill onto it and stitched the beaver tail onto it because they didn't believe it was a reality. And that is what will happen whenever you have a vision that God has given you. People will not believe that it is a reality. They'll think that it's totally fake, totally manufactured that it's just for a moment that that was cool, that was a great experience, but but it's not real. And as the band comes up and and we finish up the message today, I want to encourage you with this. This This is the part of the passage that I absolutely love. It says then Peter told them exactly what had happened. And I think that's important because here's the reality. When you're faced with opposition, when you're faced with denial, the only thing you can fall back on is what God did in your life. And so when Peter's standing there, he doesn't have an argument. He says, look, God gave me a vision, and he gave me a realization. And it's changed everything. And people were angry with him. They were upset. Uh, the, The Jewish believers, when they say the Jewish believers criticized him, the other translations would say that's the circumcision sect. The circumcision sect began to criticize him. And they began to argue with him. They were mad at him. He was breaking rules. He was destroying what they had built. He was messing it up. It was meant for Jewish people to know who God was. It wasn't meant for Gentiles. He was screwing it up. And all Peter could say was, I don't understand it either, but let me tell you exactly what happened in my life. And he goes on to tell the story. He says in verse five, I was in the town of Joppa. And while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky. The reality is when you're faced with that level of opposition, when you're faced with something like that, all you have to rely on is what God has already done and is still doing in your life. You can't argue your way out of it. You can't say, well, I think if we re-look at this, I think if we do this, blah, blah, blah. No, the reality is what did God change in you? What did God change in your life? And I love that in verse 18, after Peter's done telling his story, after he's told them exactly what happened, it says this. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, We can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Peter had a vision, he had a realization, and was faced with opposition. Said, this is what God did. And they stopped objecting and believed in what God was doing. For me, I've been thinking about this a lot because, you know, we're kind of in this series, Uncharted Territory, and the whole idea behind it is what do you do when God says go? We're meant to go outside of the walls of Jerusalem. We're meant to be more. We're meant to be witnesses to the whole world. And so for us as a church, as we wrestle through this, as we say, you know, we're going to come every week. Man, God has called us to do more than just reach the city of Dover. He's called us to reach more than just Plymouth, than just Londonderry. He's called us to go outside to say, you know what, we need to leave our own walls. We need to leave the places that we're scared to leave. We need to leave comfort and reach people we've never reached before. Peter began to reach people they never reached before. He began to reach those around him who who were never going to have an opportunity, except he was willing to say, "You know what? I'm, I'm going to do something." And so for us, our biggest hope and our biggest dream and our biggest desire is that we reach people we've never reached before, because everyone deserves the opportunity to know who God is. and And this became a reality to me a couple months ago, and. And I share this with you as I don't know what to call it. You can call it like you could call it my vision. Like I I can empathize with Peter. You can call it just a word from God. I don't know what was happening, but a couple months ago we were at all staff meetings. So our whole staff, all the people on staff, our location pastors, Jeremy, our lead pastor, um, our bookkeeper, we all go to Plymouth, and we just pray. We're praying like God do something in our. do something in our in our. Uh, do something in our state. We feel like we're we're burdened to reach New Hampshire. We're burdened to let people know who God is. We're burdened to change lives. God, help us do it. Help us do it. And, we're, and they're playing worship. And so it's just Jeremy on, on an acoustic guitar and then like six of us in the front row and we're in this room that could seat like 90 people, and, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm just praising God. I'm like, God, what is it you want from us? What is, what is it you're calling us to do? And I'm just asking him, and I'm talking to him, and all of a sudden, I'm just sitting there, and, and you know you can feel when a room's empty, You know, like when you're standing there, and, and you, know, you can feel whether a room's empty or whether it's full, and, and so I'm just standing there, and my eyes are closed, and all of a sudden, I begin to feel as if the room is filling up behind me. And so, like, I can't explain what was happening. I can't explain what was going on. But it just felt like there's, there's tons of people behind me. And so I'm just keeping my eyes closed, and I'm just talking to God. I'm like, God, what is, it, what is it you're saying to me right now? What is it you're talking to me? And he began to speak into my heart. He said, Andrew, this is all the people who will one day be a part of Restoration Church but just aren't yet. You're called right now to set a groundwork so that these people can come to know who I am. And then even more than that, he said, and these aren't just people who are going to sit in the church. These are leaders who are going to be raised up. These are people who are going to be called, who are going to move my mission forward all across New England. And so for me, I'm sitting there, and, and this is a weird thing because this this has not happened to me. This is so I'm like thinking through this, like what on earth is going on? And so I don't think I told anybody about it. I'm just like kind of keeping it to myself, and I'm not telling anybody and I'm not talking about it because I didn't want to seem like a weirdo. Like what kind of weirdo is sitting there? And all of a sudden he feels like the room is filled up behind him. I didn't know what was happening, and I'm I'm like freaking out internally. And I'm like God, what is it you're telling me? And then two days later. Um, my wife and I are talking. And so uh, something you got to know about my wife, she has the most boring dreams I've ever met of any person in my life. And I mean that in the most loving way. But her dream is like, yeah, so I woke, uh, uh, my dream was I got in the car and I went to work and I worked and then I came home. Like that's the type of stuff she dreams. And, <laughs> and I'm like, listen, there was dragons in my dream last night. I don't know what you're talking about. But she's, she tells me, she's like, Andrew, I actually had a kind of weird dream. This is two, days after, two or three days after I've had my, my weird thing where I don't know what to do and I don't think I've really told anybody about it. And she's like, she's like, I had this dream. It was so strange. And once again, showing that she is wiser than me, she begins to talk and she's like, you know, I was just sitting there and I was in a stadium. And all around the stadium, there was just people. And she's like, and God began to talk to me and say, these are the people your church is gonna reach one day. These are the people that you haven't reached yet, but one day you will. So for me, instantly, I'm like, oh man, like, How weird is it that we're having this same thing? God is speaking the same thing to us. And I want you to hear me because it's not about the size of the crowd of people that were around us, but it was the reality that, listen, we have a mission that's far bigger than our capacity right now to accomplish. And we have to begin to say, you know what, God, we can't accomplish this on our own, but we're going to trust you. And man, I'm going to do everything in my power to set the groundwork so that leaders can come and make you a reality to those who don't know you. And we have a mission to reach those we haven't reached yet. And so there I am having this encounter, having this moment where I'm like, man, God, I didn't have the courage to realize you called me into uncharted territory, so you had to send my wife to whip me into shape because I'm I'm not having enough faith in you. I'm not having enough faith in the vision you've given me. But God, I want to trust you. I want to follow you. And I want people's lives to be changed in a way that will make them never the same. Just like Cornelius, who here he said, Cornelius believed in God. But once Peter showed up and said, you believe in God, but let me tell you who God is, his whole life was changed. His whole family's life was changed. His whole household's life was changed. And thankfully, the entire world Was changed Because in that moment when Peter said, you know what? I'm not going to stay among the Jews. I'm not going to stay among them. I'm going to reach people we've never reached before. And all of a sudden, an explosion of faith began to happen that we are still celebrating 2,000 years later. Because one man had the courage to look at a vision, say, I want that to be realized and pursue it with all of his heart. That's what God has called us to today. He's called us to reach those who have never been reached. He's called us to walk into uncharted territories you've never walked into. He's called us to have visions that we can dare to dream about and dare to believe and dare to say, you know what, God, I don't understand it, but that's exactly why I'm going to pursue it. So I don't know where you're at. But I'm telling you, God has a vision for your life today. And it's time for you to pursue it, even if you don't understand it. So bow your heads with me. We're gonna pray. God, I just pray for every person in here who is encountering you in this moment, having a vision of what it is you have for their life. God, and I'm just gonna take a minute to pray for those who perhaps feel like Cornelius, like I guess I believe in God, but I don't know who he is really. God, I'm gonna take a minute to pray for them because I believe that today, you're going to interact in their life and you're going to call them into uncharted territory into finding out more about who you are. God, I just pray for every individual in here who says they want to know who you are, wants to find out more about you. I just pray that they be impacted, they be blessed, they be loved, and they realize that they don't have to follow a certain number of rules, but instead have to let you rule their life. God, I pray for those individuals today. And I pray for everyone in here who feels a tug in their heart to some sort of uncharted territory. And I don't know what it is, I don't know where they're coming from, but I'm believing that you're hearing them right now as they begin to have a vision for potentially a a better marriage or for a nonprofit organization or for the church or for their community or for their family, that you're gonna begin to sow in them a vision that you're going to help them realize. God, we lift you up. We praise you. And we ask you, help us move forward in what it is you have for us. We pray that in your name. Amen.